Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where our goal is to help you find health and community through movement. I'm Molly Herford, a writer, coach, and yoga teacher. And I'm Peter Glassford, an endurance coach and kinesiologist. Every week, we're talking to athletes and experts who can help you lead your best active, adventurous life. Whether you're a gravel racer, a marathon runner, or you just got out on your first bike ride yesterday, we're here cheering you on. You can also visit us online at consummateathlete.com for coaching information and training tips, nutrition advice, yoga flows, bike skills, and more. And now, let's get into this week's episode. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how are you doing after our wonderful morning adventures? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I was excited here to get out. I had a couple new sets of running shoes, which uh, we're, we're trying to do a bit more sort of product reviews that we've actually tested and, and stuff we've actually bought, I think is the important thing, right? So watch for some of these, you know, reviews and testing things, uh, you know, increasing amounts as we come through. But Uh, All that to say, I tend to be sort of ankle foot uh, pain, you know, discomfort. That's where I sort of get tired and limited. And and I would say these shoes helped a lot. It sort of transferred the load a little upstream, more knees and hips. I would say the only time I've ever really heard you angrily curse where it got like loud was on a trail, like trail running and your ankle went and I could hear the ankle and then I could hear the curse words. Yeah. And I don't know that the these will help with like rolling ankles right usually as stuff gets higher you end up rolling your ankle more and these are indeed more padded so we'll see they seemed pretty stable though I i was very happy with them so we'll see yeah, meanwhile, my long runs are going well. Excited about that. Um, but I am even more excited because this Saturday, so November 20th, Shred Girls Book 3 hits the stands. Now, this one, uh, you were able to do this one. You can get it in, in both like a, a real, in real life copy. So uh, this is like a soft cover. Yes, yes. Uh, or you can get it in Kindle if you're you're you know young mm-hmm. reader or you as a, a you know a slightly older reader is is into the digital format but it is available in hard copy yes i know when sugar girls book two came out the publishers opted to do ebook only partially due to the pandemic and right. i know you know a lot of people were disappointed because everyone had been learning virtually just a lot of screen time so i know the digital was not the perfect solution for a lot of people but i mean rest assured that was not a my decision and b it was the best way to get the book out so uh, I'm still very happy that it it got to come out. That's Allie's Rocky Ride. But this one, Jen's Bumpy Ride, uh, is print and Kindle. Uh, and I am so excited about this one. This one, uh, I mean, obviously, spoiler alert, the girls are going bike packing. Uh, so it's a very fun, very, uh, you know, outdoorsy adventure. So if you have someone in your life who's maybe not into the idea of bike racing and just kind of wants to think a little bit more about how to get out and enjoy just being on bikes in the great outdoors. I think this is probably the book for them. And really just anyone who is into riding, right? I think even if you have a, you know, a young athlete who's, you know, maybe too into racing even, right? You just sort of this idea of exploring on our bikes and with friends and uh, some of the lessons therein. Exactly. And that, of course, is the lesson that Jen has needed to learn right. for the last two books. Poor old Jen. So now if we want to participate, it's the so the week from today, but this is Saturday, the 20th of November, 2021. You really struggled with that date then. Yeah, a little convoluted. Uh, yeah. So and if you want to pop over to the Shred Girls Instagram, it's shred.girls on Instagram at 4 p.m. Eastern on the 20th. I'm going to do just a little live chapter reading and fun yoga session so this is instagram live only 
Yes. Uh, actually, technically, there will be also a Google Hangout. Uh, you can sign up for it over at shred-girls.com. Right. Uh, the Insta- Instagram is probably easier for Instagram's most. easier for most of our listeners, so I just figured I'd throw that out there. Um, yeah, so that's, that's very exciting. And uh, on the note of exciting things happening on websites, uh, consummateathlete.com, we have a lot of our gift, gift guides going up. This week is my personal favorite, the hard-to-shop-for athlete gift guide. So if you have a an athlete in your life, or frankly, you just want to figure out what you want to ask for for the holidays. Uh, this is our collection of gifts that are not necessarily super sport specific, but very useful to athletes. And right, was there a favorite that you had on this this list? Can you think of one? Oh, now you're really putting me okay. on the spot. Actually, my number one favorite, and I know people who've been following our gift guides for years are totally going to roll their eyes at it, but man, those North Face booties are just my perennial favorites and so I these get, are like a puffy coat for your feet yes yeah and they have like a good rubber sole and i get asked about them almost every time i wear them so people really like them they're fantastic gifts for an athlete who you know you don't necessarily want to buy them sneakers or cycling shoes or something like that but these are just the best for after rides or races i put them on after my run today um, they're just my favorite things cool I liked, I, I added uh, the jawbone earphones, which are sort of, they don't go in your ears. They use sort of like bone conduction technology, I think is their trademark. Uh, so it sits in front of your ears and just sort of like goes off of sort of like your jawbone, right? Um, and yeah, I, they've been really, really good. I've really liked using them and it's, I, I've never really run with uh, earphones while running. And these have been really good because they don't fall out. My ear, the is it the hole in you your got ear? weird I ears. should know the anatomy terms here but uh, my ear uh, canals are small or something they just don't fit earbuds at all so this has been revolutionary I think for running I think it's gonna be really good and yeah they really good really happy with the quality and actually the microphone seems to work great too so I've been able to use it for some calls as well Perfect. so those are two teasers from the this week's uh, what gift, is this guide. gift guide yeah and then we have the budget one that went up last week so if you're looking for just kind of stocking stuffer smaller things things that you can you know buy 10 of for your whole running group or cycling group or whatever that's where to head for that uh, and you should also be heading to consummateathlete.com to check out the show notes from today's episode because we have Nigel Mitchell who is a registered dietitian he is a team chef he's worked with the all of like the major teams out of Great Britain. He did a lot of stuff with Team Sky with nutrition and cooking. Um, does a ton of camps. He's actually heading to the Winter Olympics to work with the cross-country ski team. And he recently wrote a cookbook called The Cyclist's Cookbook. And oh my God, it's a beautiful cookbook. It's The pages are gorgeous. It's really just well-written. The recipes are interesting without being intimidating. Um, I don't know. I, I was just really, really excited by it. And if you head to consummateathlete.com and check the show notes for this episode, he actually shared a couple of great recipes so with us. Teaser recipes. Mm-hmm. Very so good. I think that's actually another great gift for someone who, you know, you're not really sure what to get them. If they're kind of into food or they just like eating a lot uh, or they like cooking, this is definitely a good present. I'm super excited to make, we talk through it on the episode, uh, this gelato, this pistachio gelato that he has going on mm-hmm. yeah and it, it's some of them especially the cycling themed ones i find are we have a few different ones uh that we've we've kept around out of the different ones we've had over the years and, and the the good ones are definitely you know there's a few good go-to recipes but it's it's good i, I find myself you know 
where, you know, you get in a rut sometimes with meals and you just need a, a twist, right, on, you know, the same rice and vegetables dish, right? And it might just be you have to go find a, a slightly different sauce or spice in the grocery store and or a different way to cook something, right, that you just didn't really think about. So um, sometimes these are really, really nice uh, to have around, right? Yeah, the other recipe that we actually have up on the site is a cool one where it's using peppers and coriander, a.k.a. cilantro, uh, to make kind of almost a hummusy spread for... Uh, boiled potatoes so again that's the kind of like those are things that are in our fridge almost all of the time Mm -hmm. uh, but a very different way of doing them like we haven't had boiled potatoes in ages and right and it's right in that sort of like whole foods but you know getting the calories in uh, Mm -hmm. when you need them right and that's what i mean sometimes the cycling specific cookbooks are nice because they're addressing some of these you know issues where we need to get food in but like you don't want to just eat you know straight white rice or you know resort to you know big carbo the book i'm reading has something i'm trying to remember what the name of it is but some carbo bomb you know sh- sugar oh. powder uh apologies dw also likes whole foods yeah really into the um, whole foods uh yeah so i think this is a really fun episode we talk not just about cooking we also talk about nutrition but i just really thought he had such a good uh go between of this spending time in the kitchen and actually making your food but then also talking about why we're choosing to eat what we eat and how we want to fuel our rides and all of that kind of stuff so right. it's a and really that's some of the team chefs are they're so especially when they they have the nutrition background as well right it's very interesting to hear some of the stories about you know how they address different fueling challenges and there are they, sometimes they're trying some of the riders are trying to you know make weight for the tour or something like that which is a very elite concept but it is interesting how they you know, end up cooking and presenting buffet meals to a team with these, you know, a variety of goals and, and purposes and uh, that the riders are trying to chase. Yeah. A couple of really, really interesting spots in here, but I don't want to give too much away. I think everyone should enjoy this episode. And of course, uh, hit us up over at consummateathlete.com or at consummateathlete on Instagram and let us know what you think of it. And without further ado, let's get into this chat with Nigel Mitchell. First of all, Nigel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm super excited. And oh my gosh, when I saw those couple of recipes um, <laughs> that we're going to get to share with the, the audience, I was drooling and they seem reasonably easy to make. So I'm so stoked to have you on today. <laughs> well, th- thanks for that, Molly. What, what we've tried to do with this book is, is have a range of recipes as far as complexity is concerned. So some of them are quite complex, uh, but not many. The majority of them are pretty simple. Uh, I, I sort of work on the average person in the street type of idea. And I think if the average person in the street can do it, then it, then it's about right. And most of them they're not, they're not technically that, well, none of them are technically that difficult if, if, to a trained chef, but none of them are really, really complex at all. Perfect, which is exactly what we need because one of the questions we get asked all the time is about this idea of you know, cooking healthy, but people who don't want to spend you know, hours in the kitchen or when they see sort of some of these like longer, more complex recipes and some of the, the other cookbooks for athletes, they just kind of glaze over it or just like, nope, nope, just going to close it and walk away and, you know, order in tonight. So I'm <laughs> very excited. So, I mean, before we get into the cookbook, let's talk about you. I mean, how did you, how did you get into working in the cycling industry? How did you get started in this field? I feel like you have such a huge um, breadth of experience in the nutrition world here. Yeah, I think I was pretty much born into it, to be honest with you, Molly. I come from a a traditional British cycling family in that my uh, maternal grandparents, uh, they met as part of the cycling scene 
uh, back in the uh, 1930s. And then uh, my mother uh, was a, a very keen racing cyclist in the sort of like the 50s. And she met my dad as part of like the cycling scene at that time. And um, uh, when I was uh, being, being when I was when I was brought up uh, uh, in today's sort of world, it'd be you know like they would have social services coming around. I'm sure uh, because when I got to about ten, my mother said, "Right, that's it. I've uh, uh, I'm going to start right." She took a few years off riding a bike. She says, "Right, I'm going to start riding my bike again. It's time that you learn to cook and see and, and see to yourself." So. So I was brought up in a very strong cycling family, a very strong female cycling family. My mother and her two sisters all raced together. And in the UK, then most of the racing was time trialing. So they they all used to race together. And, the, and my mother, she she used to be a teammate with the world famous Beryl Burton back in the 50s. And, uh, and at a really young age, I had to sort of like learn to cook or I'd go hungry, and uh, and it and it, it, it was fantastic. And then, at a, again, a relatively young age, my mother decided she was going to do one of these twelve-hour time trials. So I set about supporting her with the nutrition with that. And um, one of the things that we used to help fuel it was uh, 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 was rice pudding. And it's one of the things I joke about in that sort of like thirty years down the line, we use that very similar recipe to make rice cakes to feed people in the Tour de France. So things come full circle. So I had a very, uh, I had a great childhood into, into cycling. So I'd been riding from a young age, did a bit of racing, realised I weren't that good, uh, was really interested in food and nutrition. And I looked at what qualifications could I do that actually qualified me as a nutritionist. And really back in those at those times, the only thing that was really credible was to train as a registered dietitian, an RD. And so I went and studied to be uh, a registered dietitian, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But my passion were always sport. But I worked full time clinical for 10 years and then in my spare time would be working with athletes. And at the same time, then realized I wanted to really work more in sport. But again, what you could see a lot of sports work were more around nutritional products and supplements. And I've, I've always been interested in feeding people and feeding athletes. So uh, 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 as the opportunities arose, I worked, then worked more in a university setting where I was doing teaching, research, consultancy, and just developed opportunities then working with different, different sports, started working with British cycling, in the early 2000s and oh, I've always worked with a lot of different sports but as that went through to the late noughties uh, I were in that opportunity then when Dave Brailsford was setting up Team Sky so I was brought in to work with British and Team Sky and, and it would have it, when I look back I had quite a lot of naivety at the time because I would meet people who'd been working in cycling and they'd laugh at, they'd laugh at what we were trying to do. They would say, you know, I, I remember talking to a Belgium doctor who told me that you couldn't get through riding the Tour de France without uh, some sort of uh, injectable recovery, which wasn't doping, but, uh, and wasn't banned at the time. It later became banned in 2011. 
uh, it were convinced that the digestive system, the alimentary canal, couldn't deal with the stress and pressure of a three-week grand tour. And my clinical training really told me that you could. So I worked, uh, I'd worked previously with uh, immunocompromised patients where the health of the GI tract was so important. So I knew that if we maintained the integrity of the digestive system that we could feed the athletes. And I always would talk to athletes and get feedback from them. And I knew that actually that's where things had gone wrong in the past. So some of the products they've been using have been too, uh, had not really been designed for the stomach. So, so I, I saw it as a great opportunity. We, we were able to demonstrate by using food that we not only were able to help support athletes through three-week grand tours that could go on and win them. And, and we now know in, in, in professional cycling, uh, IV recovery has been banned. So uh, this is not, you know, it's not a feature anymore. So people are needing to go for the food and people's attitudes have now changed. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many awesome. I'm like, there are so many directions I want to take this now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting to me because I've done a couple articles in the past actually about like what Tour de France racers were eating in like 1910 and 1920 and <laughs> 1930, uh, you know, when they're doing like the bottles of wine and baguettes roadside. Um, and then, you know, the, the shift to supplements in sort of the 80s, 90s, where we just stopped like all normal food. <laughs> and then it mm. seems like there was this like resurgence. So it feels like you got to really ride the wave of the, the real food resurgence in professional sport, we'll say. Um, yeah. Well, uh, one, one of the interesting things there is that, that we see within, uh, within the pro peloton, there is a, a, a lot of use of uh, commercially prepared uh, energy foods, such as gels and bars and, and drinks but there is a lot of real food that's used as well and one, one of the when we're talking about the the gut health of the riders one of the one of the issues is around uh, uh the acidity and ph of some of the the things that people are eating which can affect the the line in the microvilli in the gut and affect the microbiome and and a lot of the products now i mean way back in in 2010 with sky everything we were using was uh, neutral ph uh, from the sports drinks point of view and we 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 had feedback from riders who came along to the team and said that they've got uh, gluten intolerances and all sorts of gi issues which had really been brought about by some of the nutrition practices they've been doing and then when they've been in the team for a few months they turn around and say that they were cured and uh, and and most of the teams now are adopting uh, with some of the newer, well, they're not really that new because they've been used for a long time, but they're more available, more of the uh, uh, more gut-friendly products. And uh, the, you know, in the when when people are riding professionally, the the uh, the the onslaught on the on the digestive system is massive because we've got the we've got the heat, we've got the a uh, huge volume of food that's consumed. We've got the the we, we've got the redirecting of the of the splenic blood from the digestive system. So we've got lots and lots of things going off there. So we have to really protect it. But if we do protect it, which we can, then we can feed people real food. And, mm. and again, one of the things that we did very early on, and again, is quite common now, is we would do a lot of vegetable juicing. And the idea of the vegetable juicing is that that you would be removing a lot of the 
uh, of the insoluble fiber. You wouldn't remove all the fiber because the fiber is so important for the microbiome, but you'd be removing quite a lot of it, which would then reduce the bulk on the gut so that people could actually drink a lot of the nutrients from, from the vegetables. And uh, found, we found that very successful. And again, you see lots and lots of teams now doing, doing lots of juicing. And uh, I don't, don't know if they fully understand why they're doing it, but the idea is that you're reducing, again, the amount of bulk that is going into the bowel. And a lot of it can be fermentable. So in other words, it gets, creates a lot of gas. So, so again, this is to help with the comfort of the, of the athletes. Oh, I love that. Now, okay, I'm going to flip that one on you though and ask about for the more recreational cyclist, how do you feel about the juicing? Because I feel like there's, there's kind of the two sides, right? On one hand, great, more nutrients. On the other hand, could the recreational cyclist actually use more of that insoluble fiber? So like when is juicing, I guess, like appropriate and at what point should we be, should we yeah. be messing with it? Cause I love a good juice, but I also <laughs> know that I don't eat enough salad. So yeah. So, so, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Fiber is, is so important. And, and a lot of people don't really understand, actually, we have different types of fiber. We've got soluble and insoluble fiber. And the soluble fiber, uh, again, a lot of the soluble fiber that acts as the uh, uh, prebiotics helping to feed bacteria, a lot of the insoluble acts as prebiotics as well feeding. Uh, but also the insoluble can help to act as a, a helps with the like a lubricant in effect as well within the bowel. And the the, the, the insoluble uh, a lot of it is forming the, the 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 bulk of the stool. Now, if we remove all of that fiber from the diet, one we're reducing the the gut motility. We're, we're reducing the body's ability to to create great fecal mass. In other words, big poo. Great fecal matter. <laughs> <laughs> what, what we want is real we want really big poos it's great to have great poos to get everything out that's uh, going to be the quote of this episode by the way <laughs> <laughs> but we all but we, we we also need the nutrients with them but what, what, I, what i'd say is that uh, if people's diets are based around having uh, things like whole grains as far as the breads are concerned as far as cereals are concerned and if they then look to include some juice within the diet, then I think that that can be uh, have an additive effect. So, so bringing it back to my new book, one of the things that we do do mention in there a bit is is not in this book, not so much about big juices, even though there is some. It's uh, I talk more about some of the shots, things like ginger and turmeric shots, which are really easy to make yourself at home. And a lot of people are buying these now, which is which is great. And I don't want to stop people buying these products if they want to buy them. But what I want to do is just say they're actually quite easy to make yourself. And this year, you know, I've worked, I've done, I've worked at two altitude camps with uh, triathletes and cross-country skiers. And uh, one of the things that I've done at these camps on a morning, we've had uh, we've had uh, ginger uh, ginger shots, fresh ginger shots, which have uh, been really quite easy to make. Don't really take a lot of time to do. Don't need a lot of specialist equipment, but it's a really nice way to get that very powerful sort of ginger hit first thing on the morning. And you know, really great in uh, um, in uh, uh, different uh, uh, nutrients for the body, and and it and and it actually really gives the guys a bit of a pickup as well and, and it sets a really good scene where they can see uh 
the the importance of the new of the nutrition. So they're, they're easy to do, but people can buy them as well. But you know, they uh, they're not super cheap. But if you're making them yourself, you know exactly what you're putting into them. Oh, I love that so much. And I, I like that you just kind of actually put that in the context of sort of this habit idea where it's like the, the ginger shot in the morning is both great from a nutritional standpoint, but it's also good from this, like just quick hit of, okay, I did something really healthy for myself. Yeah. And I feel like that actually starts your like snowball effect for the rest of the day. Well, I mean, that part one of the things that does it, it helps with what I call creating uh, the performance environment where we're using nutrition to help create a performance environment. So what that is just part of it. So the athletes are then become more empowered to make the best decisions for themselves. So we give them the resources around that and we're not giving double, double standard messages. We're not, you know, years ago, uh, we're doing some, uh, uh, some work, uh, with a sport and the, the, the athletes were very well educated and, uh, the sport saying to me, but, they're actually not eating what we're wanting them to eat. And then when I looked at it, the food that they were giving them in the, uh, uh, in the restaurant for the athletes didn't represent what we were asking the athletes to do. And also they had uh, vending machines, which were just things like uh, uh, chocolate and crisps and, and, uh, uh, and um, you know, uh, 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 drinks, uh, high sugar drinks. So I said that we're giving them mixed messages. So then they changed that side. And then they saw big changes in the athlete's behavior because we were backing up the messages, what we were giving them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. This is, this is so much along the lines of something I'm always talking about. And I'm so excited. We're, we're kind of going in this direction. Um, we're always saying, you know, a lot of athletes want to go to these week long training camp type environments. And we're always kind of making this argument that actually like you'd probably be better off if you could set up a better daily training environment at home where you have this like great nutrition and this great sleep hygiene. And you have kind of all of these things in place versus this like one week a year where you go to this training camp and you're (laughs) training like 10 hours a day, but you're also like going out to eat and probably doing all of these things that are actually not even super good for the, the daily training environment. So I, I love this so much. Um, okay. I have like three follow-ups here. One, uh, as far as like gadgets for, for, for juicing and for making these shots and stuff, what does one need? Is there a juicer that you particularly love? Is it more of a food processor situation? What's, what's the gadget we have to have? Right. So, I mean, kitchen gadgets you know for me you can you can never have too many kitchen gadgets so you should have started me on this one it's like but, oh no same here my husband's going to be so furious about this because this is going to be like so, all his christmas presents he's really like, molly i did not want any of these but he's going to get them so to be perfectly honest uh you know the from the juicers and i've had several juicers uh but i don't i do not tend to use a juicer anymore uh i would do if i was needing like I have done sometimes where I've been having to do sort of like several liters of juice. But when I'm doing things like the shots, then what I tend to do, I take with me, I use a Thermomix. So a Thermomix is a, uh, it's like the top of the range, multi-kitchen gadget. You've got to do a little search about the Thermomix after this, Molly, and that'll be on the top of your Christmas list. So basically the Thermomix is a, a one-stop kitchen in one piece of kit so you can you can weigh all your ingredients it chops ingredients and it's got thermal control so you can cook with it as well it has a timer on it 
the, the, the latest ones that's out there are even uh, linked up to the internet where you can download recipes, everything. They're just absolutely amazing. Um, when, I'm, when I'm traveling with teams, I use uh, a slightly older version uh, because I'm I'm quite simple, and all of that diff- all that can can uh, uh, all that information. I just want to keep it really simple. So, but but I'll always and and they're a little bit smaller the older ones, so it's easier to pack. Uh, but what I would do with that is I would use a uh, I'd put whatever I'm wanting. So if I'm doing the shots, uh, I'd be putting like apple, lemon, ginger, maybe some turmeric root if I've got that as well bit of black pepper so we can uh, absorb the uh, 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 the turmeric from that um, and then I just put a bit of water in with it and I'd really blitz it in the uh, in the food processor so chopping it up really small and then I would just strain it through uh, when I've been away sometimes it's just been a clean tea towel that I've strained it through that into a bowl overnight and then just use that shots in the morning. Uh, but sometimes I've been a bit more organized and I've bought like a, a straining bag and taken that with me. But yeah, you know, part of the thing of working in the field is, is working with what you've got. So Thermomix is the, is the, is the top one, but if you're doing a lot of juicing at home, then it is worth buying one of the sort of cold press type of, uh, of juices that, that, that real one of the problems with some juices is they can generate quite a lot of heat that can, uh, uh, that might, uh, 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 affects some of the nutrients, whereas with the, the cold press type systems, you're getting everything, everything out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and with them, you you get a lot of the uh, the fiber left over. I mean, I've not got any in my in my book, but I've known chefs that have then used them in recipes to make cakes. So you can re you can reuse all all of that as well. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to, I was going to say, I've had a lot of friends who've done really nice breads and stuff with that used up like pulp, basically. It's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, but there's still a lot of nutrients in there. So you can use it in in fact, That's given me a great idea for the next time I'm developing recipes is use them in some recipes. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I've, I've tended not to do it, but you definitely can. Yeah, it's perfect, especially if you're doing something, you know, like carrots and beets or something. It's basically yeah. a carrot cake, just like, yeah, boom, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, next next thing I wanted to come back to, you mentioned you've had a few cyclists come with more of that like gluten intolerance, and then within a few months, yeah. they're actually sort of moved past it. Could you speak about, like, I mean, I feel like I remember 10 years ago, I feel like every cyclist I knew was saying that they couldn't do gluten anymore. And it, yeah. it does seem like there was a bit of like maybe it was actually more how we were eating versus the gluten itself that was the huge issue yeah so i mean what we've got to remember is we've got to we've got to recognize that people that you've got some people in society who've got uh, celiac disease who've got a recognized clinical condition uh, uh, where they need to uh, avoid gluten and, and this is you know where the gluten uh, will cause atrophy uh, within those villi the, the the lining of the small intestine and then we've got a lot of people that have got some gluten sensitivity and and it, and it's really interesting because this gluten sensitivity uh, can be transient in other words if the body is under additional stress then that sensitivity can increase. And, and this to me is more of a reflection of the overall health of the gut rather than the person necessarily really having a gluten intolerance. 
Another one that fits in with this is also uh, lactose intolerance. Uh, so lactase is produced on these brush borders in the microvilli. And again, if we get uh, a lot of strain in the villi, if they become inflamed, then their ability to produce the lactase can be reduced. So again, people can get temporary lactose intolerance, temporary uh, gluten intolerance. And that when the body's under a lot of stress, these become much more heightened. And this is one of the things when I'm working with athletes and they're saying, you know, when I'm like really, really, really heavy training, I find I can't tolerate milk, I find I can't tolerate gluten. I go, okay, let's have a look at what you're doing from a gut point of view. Can we improve the overall gut health, gut function with you? And then do you still feel that you need to avoid the lactose and the, and the gluten? And, and very often athletes don't, or what they do is they change a little bit. So um, uh, work a lot with uh, uh, um, uh, world-class triathletes who uh, sometimes can have some, some gut issues. And we found moving on to uh, things such as sourdough bread is much better. And the reason for this, that that fermentation process with the sourdough starts to hydrolyze the gluten. So the gluten is basically already becoming digested. So it's less aggressive on, on the gut. But there is research that has shown as well that actually if we do have gluten in the diet, it can cause some, even if we're not gluten, uh, gluten intolerant, it can cause some, some, some inflammation in some people in the, in the bowel. So, so sometimes I'll be working with athletes that we know that even they do everything completely right, when they are like at an altitude camp or they're doing a really big training block or they're doing a really big race block, it works a lot better for them to avoid gluten and lactose within that period. But it doesn't mean mm. to say they avoid it all the time. It's just coming into that period, they have a higher sensitivity. Uh, some of the, one of the uh, middle distance female runners I work with at the moment, uh, uh, when she's in really heavy training, she finds she needs to avoid uh, gluten. Otherwise, she has some gastro issues. Even though she does everything right, she just has a higher uh, 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 tolerance is just reduced in very high training. But once you understand some of the anatomy and physiology and the function of the, of the gut, you can then understand how that can be. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And so you mentioned helping these athletes get a, a healthier gut. Do you have kind of a couple of things that you, you start with as far as easy um, yeah, interventions? So, yeah, so, so I spoke a bit before about uh, like pH, uh, acidity. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the pH in the small intestine wants to be uh, 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 on the alkali side. And, and it can be strongly affected by the foods that we eat. I mean, the, the stomach acid is obviously acidic and that affects it. But if we have a lot more acid in the diet, that has a bigger effect. So, so things like uh, carbonated drinks uh, are quite acidic. Things like a lot of sports drinks are really quite acidic. So what, 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 when I'm working with uh, pro athletes, one of the things, first of all, to talk about is during every training competition is really avoiding I assign, uh, those types of foods. And, and again, it goes back to the environment. So when, when I started working at Team Sky, one of the things that we introduced there was we would not give the riders like a carbonated drink when they finish racing. You'll have seen many times at the end of a race, the first thing the rider does is, is, is get a can of cola or something like that. 
and uh, and 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 we said that you know that didn't support the culture that we were trying to uh, uh, create, so we wouldn't give it. But we didn't ban it. We didn't say you can't have it. But if we would we would say if you want it, when you get to the hotel, go to the bar and buy one. But we're not going to give you that because it undermines the culture what we're doing. So that'd be one of the things what I'd be saying is 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 you know uh, trying trying to keep away from foods that that are not gonna to contribute to the balance within the stomach. Then the next thing would be around ensuring, and we spoke a bit, we've touched on it before, around the different types of fiber in the diet, ensuring that we're getting some good soluble and insoluble fiber from different foods, having more of the whole type of foods there. And then you know, there's so much around people taking uh, probiotics as, as, a, as a supplement. And, you know, we, we would use probiotics quite routinely with athletes. Now, whether or not there is a really big effect of that, is there's still a question around it, but it fits in with that overall support. I wouldn't necessarily always recommend people take probiotics, uh, but that can fit in with it as well. But the first thing is really about diet. But one of the cool things now is understanding individuals' microbiome and so we, we're starting to get into now where we're looking, getting assays done on the microbiome of athletes, which is able then to inform us better. There's no such thing, oh, sorry, we do not understand at the moment, or I certainly don't, somebody might, what the ideal athlete microbiome is. But we can understand what type of bacteria we believe we want to see there that helps to support the athlete. So what we what we're tending to what what we're moving to now is when we have got some athletes who've got some bowel issues is actually looking at getting some microbiome assays done so we can understand that and then inform it better. And this is sort of like brand new stuff that I'm just getting into. Okay. Oh, so so interesting. Um, I've now lost. I was so fascinated by that. I've like lost my train of thought here. Um, actually. Okay, I've, I've remembered it. I've noticed in all of this, you've mentioned sports drinks with like acidity and all of that, yeah. but a lot of what we've talked about has not been on the bike stuff for improving cyclists' uh, performance and gut health and all of that. So, uh, you know, can we just kind of talk about, this is one of the things I get on my high horse about all the time is the cycling nutrition does not mean what you're eating on the bike. It's sort of everything. And it seems like you, you really embody that. I mean, with the cookbook and with how you've worked with team sky, can you kind of speak to this whole like holistic approach to cycling nutrition? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, one, one of the things about cycling is as a sport, it is a sport where you can refuel uh, while you're on the bike. You can, you know, it is almost unique in, in that aspect of it. So I, 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 again, always, my philosophy is always try to look at things holistically and trying to understand what the potential problems are and then deal with those problems before they come up in the in the field. So when we then talk about on the bike, uh, and it makes me smile in that the trend at the moment is for a lot of this, the uh, sports drinks to be going for, to very simple, pure uh, sort of powders with no flavorings. The, these were the what we were, we were using uh, high... Uh, carbohydrate drinks with Team Sky when we first started with no flavorings, no colorings. And these are becoming really quite popular now. And one of the reasons for this 
is that that simplicity when we're looking at the higher amounts of carbohydrate like 8 to 90 grams per hour uh, it just help, it helps the uh, digestion and absorption of it with, with the athletes and then some of the ride foods as well such as like you know the developing of the rice cakes which are just uh, so popular with all pro cyclists the great thing we 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 developed uh, our version of them uh, to help riders from a good low point of view in really long races but also it's very much fully digestible cooked rice so it provides fluid uh, within the rice as well and and there's if you do searches out there there's quite a few people who, who claim to have sort of uh, uh, originally developed them but the credit really needs to go. I got the idea from talking to Bradley Wiggins, who, when he was with Garmin, Alan Lim, who owned Scratch Labs, he used to make like a former rice cake. And then Brad told me about that. So I developed a different idea. And when I spoke to Alan about it, he said that it were his mum and his grandmother who used to do something like that when he were a kid. And it were all based on, on uh, uh, Chinese and Japanese food. So, you know, there's nothing new but those foods are absolutely great for when we're on the bike Mm -hmm. it's funny I remember interviewing Alan Lim I think 10 years ago now and I was like what's your number one like tip about food or like tip for eating healthy and he was just like uh I think he said like don't be an asshole about food or something and it was just this like hilarious moment of just like you already know, generally speaking, what's healthy and what isn't. And we kind of tend to overcomplicate it with all of these like really fancy ingredients and newest things and all that. But really the basics are still like the most important, uh, important bits. Um, okay. The next question I had for you is, I mean, now we're talking, you're, you obviously have such a huge depth of knowledge in cycling nutrition. Why go cookbook versus nutrition book? Well, the, the, the reason why we actually did the cookbook was uh, because I've written cycling nutrition books. And what I wanted to do with those was to give the underpinning rationale and the reason why we're doing things. And then I wanted to actually say, this is how you do it with food. So provide recipes. And the feedback we got, which were a bit disappointing to me in some ways, was, oh, that's all good about all that technical stuff, but can we have more recipes, please? And, and so, so it was a reaction from, from readers saying that they actually wanted more recipes. And when I did some videos with GCN around some of the food, people were going, oh, can we have more of this? And, uh, and so... So the, the, the idea with the cookbook was to bring in my experiences working in cycling for, for many years, different foods that I've come across with different riders or different parts of Europe, and then bringing them into the cycling world and bringing in cycling stories around those recipes. So within the book, there is still some underpinning nutrition but it's not a nutrition-heavy book. It's more of an explanation. So what I've also tried to do with it is provide information around coffee, for example. You know, what are some of the origins of coffee? What are some of the basic things to get right when you're making coffee at home? Uh, we talk a bit about olive oil, and, and we talk a bit about the providence of looking at, your, at the meat that people buy and flour. So it's there is some technical elements in it but it is mainly a food book and and and, it, and the genesis was people saying we want more recipes so therefore that's what i've come that's what i've written i love that and i appreciate that so much because to me the 
exactly what you just said where you're talking about the coffee or the the meat like that's such an important side of it and that makes me much more inclined to want that cookbook to be honest because I'm like oh I like recipes but I also really like getting into those sort of nitty-gritty details around food yeah well this is where I've tried to provide uh uh, within it you know I tried to write something that I will if that I would want to read myself and and it and it's really weird that you know you, I mean, the, the team that I've worked with at GCN have been tremendous at, with the production value of the of the book. And so to see it actually produced and then read it and go, wow, this is actually quite interesting. You know, even even my wife were reading it and she was saying, oh, this is really good. I'm going, yeah, I know, I'm amazed. As far as cooking, cooking in general, I feel like this is just such a, a hard topic for people and people seem to people are kind of in the two camps, right? It's either they're really into these fun, cool recipes and really into experimenting with food, or they have maybe like one or two meals that they can make. Uh, so for the people who are only good at making like one or two meals, um, any tips for kind of getting over that, like terror of trying new recipes and uh, getting into the kitchen and experimenting a bit? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp of experimenting. I, I do not actually own any cookbooks myself i've never bought a cookbook uh I've, I've always sort of learned by experimentation and i really enjoy that i think the, the main thing is is to get comfortable in the kitchen and not to be frightened to make a mistake and start simple and do not make things too complex so if you're not really that used to cooking then keep it really simple and look at like one pot type cooking. So what we were talking about kitchen gadgets before, the other thing that I use a lot is like a instant pot is a, is a multi cooker. And again, that travels everywhere with me when I'm having to cook for athletes and you can just throw everything in that and you can just switch it on and it never goes wrong. Well, I've, I've never had it go wrong. Somebody might, uh, but I mean, the, these things are so cool that recently I was in Lavigno at an altitude training camp and I wanted to make sourdough bread, but I had no oven because it was just a very simple place we were staying. And I was baking bread in the multi-cooker, in the Instapot. I would do it because it has a bake function on it. And I couldn't believe it. And it came out really, really good. It didn't look quite as good as when I make it otherwise, but it, but it, it did the job. And so, again, within, you know, within my book, I've got a few, few recipes that work really well in the Instapot. So there's like a, a beef recovery meal, which uh, uh, I designed for at the end of uh, long stages in like mountain stages of, uh, of the Tour de France and the Giro. And then there's one which is a plant based, which is a, uh, uh, which is a, a, a mixed bean uh, chili. And again, all of these can just be thrown on, switch it on, leave it. And you can, you know, you can go out, do your training, go to work, come back. So my tips really is keep it, keep it simple. Uh, certainly not overcomplicate it. Being organised, getting things, uh, having having the ingredients in the house, having a good store cupboard can really help. Mm-hmm. And actually, on that note, if you had to kind of list a few of your favourite ingredients and pantry staples that you always have on hand, what's yeah. what's your go tos? Well, if, if I were to take my pantry, the, I've got things in there like different grains. I love mixing grains together. So I love, so I tend to not just do rice by itself unless I'm doing rice cakes. So I'll mix uh, in equal parts rice, quinoa, spelt grains, 
pearl barley. I'll mix all of those together and I'll make a risotto with that. So mixed grain risotto, the texture, the flavor and the varied nutrients is absolutely amazing with that. So the grains is one. Then good quality flour. So I've always, I, I, I bake all my own bread. Now my wife loves it when she gets up in the morning. I've been baking, I get up, bake the bread, make her a cup of tea. And, uh, and so I'll have uh, uh, stone ground uh, organic flour in my pantry. I'll have like, I'll have the white and then I'll have the mixed grain, which will mix all together. Uh, I'll always have some, uh, some tins of, uh, uh, of uh, different beans, different legumes. Uh, I'll always have dried as well. So if, uh, so if I've got the time, I use, I use a lot of dried and uh, and uh, uh, canned, uh, canned tomatoes you know you can do such a good sauce recipe with basically a can of tomatoes and onion and a bit of garlic it's so easy and uh, uh, not to massively extend the role uh, the, the list one of the others I always use I like to use a lot is canned coconut milk uh, that is so good uh, a lot of the food I eat now is plant-based and so I'll use that if I'm doing a something like a tofu risotto, I'll put a tin of that in with that risotto and it gives it such body and creaminess. Oh, I love that. It's funny because we have almost the exact same staples down in our pantry. Um, now I have to ask pantry wise, are you one of those people that like decants their grains into beautiful glass jars or are you just like a, just bags on the so- shelf? I'm, I'm bags on the shelf and my wife puts them in jars. So got, got both there. The, the, only, the, the only thing that annoys me is if she puts things in jars and, and I can't tell what it is. So things like pearl barley and pearl spelt look very similar. So if she puts it in a jar and I can't see the label, then yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay. You mentioned plant-based, which means we have to talk about one of the recipes we're going to get to share with the audience. They can find it in the show notes, but you have this dairy-free pistachio gelato. And I admit when I first looked at the title, I was like, Hmm, okay. This feels like it's going to be really complicated. And then I looked at the ingredients and I was like, there are four ingredients. This is amazing. Um, yeah. can you talk us through how you came up with this recipe? What, what made you like this recipe? Why it's in here? And I, 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 I developed the recipe because uh, a project that I, I did a few years ago, what I'm very passionate about, uh, was around plant-based nutrition and cycling. Uh, it will become more, uh, 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 there were more interest in that, and I wanted to learn about it. So I followed a very strict plant-based diet for three months myself, so I could really understand it, tested my blood, my physiology, everything like that to see, see how I went with it. And it was fantastic. It was transforming for me. You know, know, it really has affected the way that I think about food and the foods that I I eat. So I'm not plant-based, but a lot of the food that I eat is. And and, and I love the challenge of then coming up with some really nice, tasty food. So I thought, right, I'm going to have a go at uh, doing uh, an ice cream. And I love pistachios. Pistachios, nutritionally, are one of the best nuts. They're one of the highest protein uh, they've got uh, their uh, uh, high biological value protein. We've got all everything, all the amino acids we need in there. They're really high in antioxidants, so they're great. Um, so what I what I thought, you know, this is going to be. Let, let's just think of the structure of this. So I thought tin coconut, a bit of sugar, some cardamoms for flavour, some pistachios. Let's just heat it up in the pan, see what happens. Flavour were amazing. 
and then uh, took the cardamoms out and just just whisked it up with a this was with an andel mixer and then just froze it and then chopped it up and it was great and uh, i gave some to my mother and she said it was the best ice cream she's ever had and i've made this at home domestically i've made it for athletes when i've been away at altitude camps and it's just been really really popular it is a li- little bit more work for like a, for an ice cream uh, but to do something a bit different, it's definitely worth it. The thing that works the best is if you if it's frozen in like big ice cube type of things, and then it can be just uh, goes through the you know the the liquidizer afterwards to turn it into the ice cream. But if you haven't got that, you can just let it uh, soften a bit because of the the fat content in the uh, coconut milk. It, it it doesn't freeze super solid anyway. And then what you can do again, keeping it really plant based, you can get. Uh, uh, dark chocolate with no milk and you can shave that and then just sprinkle it on top and the and the flavors are amazing if you like it really sweet you can add a bit more sugar okay i love that and i noticed uh it's castor sugar is in the ingredient list um yeah it it doesn't have to be castor sugar okay that was that was really what i was going to ask is does it have to be that specific sugar or can we can we substitute no no, to be uh, to be perfectly honest uh, uh i think when I've written it, I've put caster sugar because that will probably how I will type in. But I've used I've used soft brown sugar. Uh, I've used lots of different types of sugar with it. it. You know, it doesn't have to be caster sugar. Okay, perfect. Now, have you ever tried it with a different uh, a different kind of nut? I'm very curious about this. Now. No, I haven't. And the reason is because it just works so well. Yeah. With, with pistachio, the coloring is fantastic. Uh, I don't think you, you know, if you were to use like a cashew, I, I, I think the color of that, but I think I'd use vanilla. If I'm going to use, if I'm going to do something like with cashew, I'd probably use uh, vanilla with that rather than the cardamoms. I, I got the cardamom idea from uh, when I've been to Indian restaurants and I've had the, uh, the Indian ice cream, they do like a pistachio and uh, they flavor it with uh, uh, with cardamom. So that's where I think I got the flavor idea from. But I think if I were doing a less colorful nut, I'd probably use vanilla rather than cardamom. But you, you get the same sort of results, but I don't, it might not be as good nutritionally. Yeah, I like that though, because that's kind of almost, that was just kind of a tangible example of this idea of experimenting, right? We just sort of talked through a totally different way to do this that would have a completely different flavor profile. So you can yeah, kind of play yeah, around with all of those. And, you know, if you happen to have a bunch of cashews at home and you don't have pistachio and you want to give this a try. But the, again, I, one of the one of the things I really like doing is making uh, nut butter. So again, I'll, I'll make, uh, uh, um, yeah, you know, a, a nut butter. Again, I, I like to use pistachios because of the, the flavor and and the uh, nutrient profile, but you can use other, other nuts with it. Again, they're quite easy to make athletes absolutely love nut butter we can get but you can get through sort of like 500 grams worth of packer to breakfast sometimes with them so you know i I just think it's nice to do your own Mm -hmm. now okay question about making the nut butter um i assume you're using a food processor have you figured out a way to avoid just like losing so much of the nut butter to like the bottom of the food processor because this is where i always just like like well this is we have a vitamix so you end up with so much crap at the bottom and it's so sad. Well, 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 to be to be honest, Molly, I've only ever made it. it no, I've made uh, I've I've made it mainly in my Thermomix. And, uh, okay, another uh, another yeah. point in the Thermomix column yeah, here. Sorry, uh, I've only ever done it with like a different type of blender once. 
and uh, yeah, it weren't a success. It were harder. To, I know what you mean. It's harder to get it all out of the bottom. Uh, but with the Thermomix, again, big plug for it. I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, not sponsored. By <laughs> I'm not sponsored by Thermomix. Uh, but what you can actually do with them is you you can just like take the bottom off and the blade comes off. So if there's anything around the bottom, you just scoop it out. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I've, I've been used to using. Okay, well there we go. All right, well this is clearly going on our uh, gift guide for the the season here. Um, okay, well I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you have to to get going here, but I have to just kind of throw this out there. The cookbook is beautiful. Like I've I've owned a lot of cookbooks in my day in, in our our industry. We we get a lot very frequently, and I would say this one is easily just my favorite as far as aesthetics and how easy the recipes are to understand and comprehend. So it's just seriously wonderful. So tell people where they can get it, how they can find you and follow along with all your stuff. Well, they, I mean, thank you very much for your kind words. I mean, that, that's down to the production team at, at GCN. They're, they're absolutely uh, fantastic. And uh, I agree. I, I think they've just done a tremendous job on the production. And I think it's that production value that really makes the difference. Uh, so to be really honest with you, uh, I'm, I'm not that aware of where we get it. Uh, I know it's available on the GCN shop. We'll make sure we have it all in the show notes. So anyone who's interested, and they can also get that pistachio gelato recipe, the Canarian potatoes recipe as well with mojo sauce. So another very exciting thing. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this or any of our past episodes, do us a solid and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts and check out our book, Becoming a Consummate Athlete, over at consummateathlete.com. Questions or comments? Find us over on Instagram at consummateathlete and we will see you next week.